Father, we come before you today so grateful and thankful for your new morning mercies. We thank you that your mercies are renewed each day and that our souls are ultimately and fully satisfied in the finished work of your Son, Jesus Christ. We thank you that as we wait on you and abide and dwell in your word, that you fill us with all that we need to go before you into this life, to face into the challenges of, of each day. And so as we come before you, as we gather in corporate worship today, Father, we just pray that you would encourage our hearts afresh and anew by the truth of the gospel, by the truth of your finished work. So as we gather today, Father, just strengthen us by your word, enlighten our minds by your word, guide us by your word. We pray all of these things in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. Well, good morning and welcome to our corporate worship gathering. For those of you that may be joining us for the first time in worship here in person or even to those of you that may be joining us for the first time online, we welcome you. My name is Dave Eatman. I serve here as an assistant pastor and it's my joy and privilege to be able to lead us in worship together today as we continue in our summer mini-series of Dwell. Last week, our student minister, Cole Forrest, led us in the beginning of this series as we looked at dwelling in God's work. And Cole brought us through how the false vines of things like marriage or money or sex or these things uh, that we often look to for, for salvation or fulfillment can't truly fulfill, fulfill us, and it's only by remaining connected to the true vine of Jesus Christ that we can ultimately find fulfillment. We learned last week that the finished work of Jesus alone is what truly saves us, is what truly sanctifies us. And as we continue in his pruning work in us, we can trust with assurance that he will begin, he will continue the good work that he began in us and as he called us to himself my wife and I bought a, a new house, a new old house, back at the beginning of this year in January. And our old, the home we were in had a small lot. It was about a quarter of an acre, and we had a push mower. Uh, and that was sufficient. We could knock it out in a few minutes. But in the new uh, property that we bought, it's almost two acres. And so while we have pushed it now several times, we quickly learned that efficiency and time matters. And so it would be much more helpful to have a riding lawnmower. And a friend of ours actually had an old one that wasn't running, and he told us that I was glad to have it, and he would give it to me if I could get it running. It was mine, and so I thought, hey, that's a great deal because free is always the best price, right? And so I went and picked it up, and I brought it back to my house, and I like to think of myself as being quite you know, mechanically inclined and can work with my hands, and so I thought, I can get this thing running. I can tap into what I know, the knowledge that I have about, about engines and how they operate, uh, and apply that to this thing to get it running and use it all, at least this season, if not next season, uh, to cut our yard before I have to go buy a new one. And so when I got it, it wouldn't even crank, and so I, I tinkered with it a little bit. I applied some things that I knew. I, I changed a couple of things out, and I finally got it to at least turn over, but it wouldn't run. 
So I continued to work with it and continue to do things with it. And finally, I was able to get it running. I was so proud of myself and so uh, proud of how I had just tapped into this great knowledge that I had to be able to, to get this thing running and felt pretty good about it until about a couple hours into cutting the yard the first time and it started spitting and sputtering and it cut off on me. And I was so frustrated by that because I thought I had fixed it. I thought I had it running. And so a couple of months went by still, you know, pushing the yard every, uh, <laughs> every uh, week or so and, and trying to figure out what was wrong with this thing. And finally, at some point, it occurred to me, uh, you know, why don't I tap into the knowledge of the manufacturer to see what's going on with this thing? Why don't I go to the one who made this mower and figure out what I might be able to do to it to put a fix in place that will last? And what I discovered, and some of you probably know engines, you would probably think this was simple, but what I discovered was this particular mower has two different types of engines. One is gravity-fed. The fuel is gravity-fed. The other one has a fuel pump. And depending on which type you have, you have to have a, a filter that aligns with whether it's gravity-fed or whether it's uh, fed with a pump. And as you guessed it, I had the filter that was one for a fuel pump, but my mower was gravity-fed. So a $5 part later... I was able to change that, and I've been cutting my yard with it ever since. And what I learned in that scenario, what, as I was reflecting on that, is as I was just tapping into my own self, my own knowledge, my own strength, the things that I knew that I thought would be effective, that fix, that application only lasted so long. But when I tapped into the one who made the mower, the fix that, that I needed was there. It was readily available to me, and it was the fix that lasted. Today, as we continue in John 15, we're going to look at how we have abiding fruit and how abiding in the Lord himself is the only way for us to have abiding fruit that lasts and the only way to bring glory to our Heavenly Father. Specifically today, we're going to see how abiding in God's Word is the key to being a fruitful disciple of Christ and an effective witness to our risen Savior. If you would turn with me to John chapter 15, we'll continue where we left off last week. John 15, beginning in verse 4. Jesus says, Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself, unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. Everyone say, much fruit fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit. Say with me again, much fruit. And so prove to be my disciples. When we speak of abiding in Jesus or dwelling in Jesus, we speak of abiding or dwelling in his word. These are synonymous. John will tell us as he begins his gospel in chapter 1, that in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. We learn from the beginning that Jesus himself, the Word was present in creation. The Word was present uh, prior to creation with the Father, that creation itself was manifested through 
the word. And John continues in verse 14 to tell us who is this word. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us as we have seen his glory, glory as the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. So we learn that the word that is eternally existing with the father, that creation was accomplished through, was none other than the son, Jesus Christ. We see from the start of John's letter that where Christ is the vision of God, his word is the voice of God. And both the vision of God and the voice of God reveal unto us the Father. If you worked for me and I was going to be away for a while, I would probably leave you explicit instructions on all that I would have you to do and accomplish while I was away. And either having me there with you to, to guide you or having my instructions with you would be one in the same, whether it was me or whether it was my words. And so it is with the word of God to us. So to dwell in God's word is both to dwell in the person of Christ and to dwell in his revelation to us. So as we begin together looking at John chapter 15, we learn that first of all, to be a fruitful disciple of Christ, it first begins in Jesus and his word. The disciples themselves had Jesus physically with them. For three and a half years, they had his physical words. They had him speaking to them. They had him uh, being patient with them. They had him explaining parables to them. But upon Jesus' death and burial and resurrection and ascension back to the Father, the disciples weren't hindered or handicapped in any way by no longer having Jesus physically with them. And nor are we today by not having Jesus physically with us. Because not only did he leave us his written word, he left us his abiding presence, presence to explain and to interpret and to convict and to illuminate. The context of abiding synonymously and simultaneously in Jesus and his word is actually set for us in the preceding verses in John chapter 14. If you look back just one chapter in John chapter 14, beginning in verse 15, Jesus says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments, you will keep my word. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Yet a little while, and the world will see me no more, but you will see me, because I live, you also will live. In that day, you will know that I am in the Father, and you in me, and I in you. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, my word, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not the world? And Jesus answered him, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word. And the Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words. And the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. It is the Holy Spirit that dwells within the believer that provides illumination to his word. And abiding in his word, dwelling in his word, is foundational for being a fruitful disciple of Christ. You know, before I began to walk with Christ, I grew up in Christian culture, and so I had a Bible. And from time to time, I would look at it, and I would try to read it. Uh, but there were just so many things that did not make sense that I could not 
comprehend. And I, I really like my wife's testimony. Once she became a follower of Christ, she was already attending a church and she became a follower of Christ and she said the next week it was like the scales had fallen off of her eyes. And so for the first time she could see with clarity how God was moving around her. She could understand with clarity things from God's word that she had never understood before. You know, for me, I don't know how it is for you, but for me, sometimes when I'm reading scripture, it's almost like it's a pop-up book. And I'll come across a truth or an element of scripture, a verse that I've read countless times before, but this time as I read it, it's almost as if it jumps off the page. And what I've come to understand, what we know is that this is the work of the Holy Spirit. This is why we call this the living word, because the Holy Spirit is using the words of God. The Spirit of God is using the words of God to illuminate our minds and helping us to understand with clarity what God is presenting to us. This is illumination. So it, as it stands to reason, as we dwell in Jesus, as we dwell in his word, he is continually transforming us and renewing our minds in the secret to abiding in Christ and being fruitful as his disciples is revealed to us. Paul speaks to this in Romans chapter 12 where he says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. If we are going to be fruitful disciples of Christ, it begins with transformation. It begins, first of all, with being transformed from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light as we receive the free gift of grace that God offers us through his son, Jesus Christ. And it continues by having our minds transformed as we soak and dwell and abide in God's word. Paul would tell the church at Philippi, finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honor honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's anything excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. To abide in Christ means having a mind that is being continually renewed by the gospel and being continually transformed by his word. Let's look again at John 15, verse 5. Jesus said, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. It is only through abiding in Jesus that we're able to live fruitful lives as his disciples. disciples. He tells us categorically here that apart from abiding in him, we can accomplish nothing of eternal value. We look back to the Old Covenant and think of the Old Covenant command that was first given to Adam and Eve in creation. They were given the command to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. And that command for Adam and Eve was primarily a physical command. It was a command to, to begin to multiply and fill the earth with the human race. We're given the command again through the Great Commission in the New Testament when Jesus tells us to go into all the world and preach the gospel to all nations, baptizing them and teaching them all that he has commanded us, knowing with the assurance that he is with us always to the end of the age. Our new covenant command to be fruitful is primarily one that is spiritual. And as followers of Christ, we're either doing things in the spirit or we're doing them in the flesh. Either we are doing things according to God's word and according to his ways or we're doing things according to our own desires, our own philosophy, our own thought process, what we think is right or best or needed. So the question is, how do we know? How do we know that the fruit that we are bearing is for Christ, that it honors God and honors him, or how do we know that it is fruit that is just born 
out of ourselves or out of our flesh. Well, Paul gives us some helpful tips in Galatians chapter 5 where he says, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. And these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you were led by the Spirit, you were not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident. So Paul gives us a list of what it looks like to be bearing fruit of the flesh. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and because we are creative with sin, things like these. He says, I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God, but the fruit of the Spirit. Now Paul gives us what it looks like to bear fruit that comes from abiding in Christ and abiding in his word. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, goodness, faithfulness, self-control. Against such things there is no law, and those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. As followers, of our, as followers of Christ, if our branch is connected to the true vine, that position is secure. But we continually must crucify our flesh to ensure that we are drawing our source from the vine if we are to bear lasting fruit. Let's look again at John fifteen six. If anyone does not abide in me, He is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burned. As we reflect on our fruitfulness, uh, the fruitfulness of our lives, we must take account of what we see and make sure that our branch is connected to the true vine. We see that Jesus here in this passage uses fire as a symbol. Throughout the New Testament, fire is a symbol of God's judgment. In Matthew chapter 3, John the Baptist would say of Jesus, I baptize you with water for repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I'm not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. And though we don't like to think of it, We don't like to speak of it or dwell on it. The reality is that all of us, every one of us, will stand in judgment one day. We will all stand one day and face the judgment of God. For those of us, the good news is, for those of us that are in Christ, if you have placed your faith and trust in Christ, if you have received that free gift, then when you stand before God in judgment, you will have as your mediator the Lord Jesus Christ standing between you and a holy God. And not standing on your own abilities, your own righteousness, your own fruits, but standing on the fruit of righteousness that comes through our Lord Jesus as he mediates for us. Paul would tell the church at Corinth, For we must all appear, all believers, before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. In 1 Corinthians, he would say, According to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it, for no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if anyone builds on a foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, lasting fruit, wood, hay, or straw, 
temporary fruit. Each one's work will become manifest for the day will disclose it because it will be revealed by fire and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. The good news, church, is that our position in Christ is secure. But nevertheless, we will one day stand before our Lord Jesus and give an account for our fruit. We will have our fruit inspected and in addition to having eternal rest in his presence that belongs to every believer, we also stand to be able to have rewards based on those things that we did for him, based on the eternal fruit that we have borne through abiding in him. But we can't talk about one without the other because there's another judgment that's given for us in Scripture. And in Revelation 20, John shares with us what he is seeing, what he sees as God gives him revelation. And this is the great white throne judgment for those who have not placed their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. John says, I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. From his presence, earth and sky fled away and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne and the books were opened. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them and they were judged, each one of them according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. The reality, church, is that we will all stand in judgment before a holy God. But the good news about that is that we all have available to us the opportunity to stand with Jesus Christ as our mediator between us and a holy God. And instead of trying to stand in the day before a holy God, resting on our own works, our own abilities, that we can stand open-handed trusting only in what Christ has accomplished on our behalf. And we recognize that nothing in us can get us to the level of holiness as a holy God, that we are born into sin, and even our best efforts fall horribly short. But that God in his abundant, matchless love and grace for us sent his son Jesus to die in our place, to take that death on himself, and then raise to new life as a promise of eternal life for us. And we receive that as a free gift and surrender to him and become as a as a branch grafted in and connected to the true vine we can rest with the assurance that one day that we will stand with him with jesus christ as our mediator between us and god look back with me at john fifteen seven. if you abide in me and my words abide in you ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Jesus continues here telling us that if we abide in Christ, we can ask whatever it is that's in our hearts, that's on our minds, and he will provide it. Now, unfortunately, in our American culture, we have kind of adopted in a lot of ways this prosperity mindset, this prosperity gospel that if we will just simply ask God and, and say the right words or pray in Jesus' name, that he will give it to us, that, that it's God's job to give us all that we desire and want uh, in addition to what we need. But what we see here is that that's not the case. This is a conditional statement. You know, we make much of praying in Jesus' name, right? We, we say that 
that that is uh, absolutely required, and, and if we can't pray in Jesus' name, that that's heresy, and, and it's almost like we, we can boil that phrase down to some magical formula or, or some um, uh, just phrase that's necessary, that's mechanical to get us what we want or what we need or what we're asking for or to ensure that God hears us. But really, what I see here is that John 15 captures the heart of what it means to pray in Jesus' name. But you see, to pray in Jesus' name is to pray as his representative. It's to pray the way Jesus would pray. It's to pray for what Jesus would pray for. And so by abiding continually in Christ and by having his word abide continuously in us, then we are praying in his name the way that he would. And we can pray at that point whatever we wish, knowing that it will be done for us because at that point we are praying in accordance with his will, in accordance with his nature, in accordance with his desires. The psalmist picks up on this in Psalm 37, 4, where he says, delight yourself in the Lord and we could say, and then he will give you the desires of your heart. It's when we are rooted in Christ that we can pray whatever we wish because then our prayers are in alignment with the Heavenly Father and his Son whom we are abiding in. So we see first that to be a fruitful disciple of Christ, bearing the right kind of fruit, we must be anchored in Jesus and anchored in his word. Look at verse 8. By this, my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my, my disciples. So first of all, fruitful discipleship begins in Jesus and his word. Next, fruitful discipleship brings glory to the Father. The Westminster Shorter Catechism, if you're familiar with that, begins by saying the chief end of man is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. In Matthew chapter 5, Jesus would say, You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Paul would tell the church at Philippi, It is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with all knowledge and discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Our Heavenly Father created us. He sustains us. He sent His Son Jesus to die for us. He provides for us. He shapes us more and more into His image, and He has prepared for us an eternal home as we await the day where we will enjoy his presence physically for all of eternity, surely with the magnitude of what he has done for us, we can surrender, we can give back to him and simply seek to bring glory and honor to him through our lives. As we abide in Christ, as we abide in his words, we seek to bear fruit in keeping with repentance. We can give back a small gift to our Heavenly Father, a small token of our gratitude and thankfulness for the magnitude of what he has accomplished in us and through us. But not only does our fruitfulness bring glory to the Father, it bears witness to our identity to Christ. Look again one last time at verse 8. But this, by this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. And so finally, fruitful discipleship bears witness to our identity 
in Christ. Again in Matthew, Jesus would say, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, you will recognize them by their fruits. In our American culture, one of the biggest heart cries of this generation is for something that's true and real and authentic. It's this search for authenticity. And the world around us, our culture around us, is looking for something that is real and true and surpasses the superficiality of social media profiles and, and service-level relationships. So the world around us is looking for answers and for a foundation and for something that's sure and true and lasting. And we have that answer, church. And that answer is a life that is fully surrendered to Jesus Christ and abiding in him and his word. So how does bearing the right kind of fruit bear witness to our identity in Christ? Well, just think of this week, in every situation that we face, in every interaction that we have with someone, whether online or in person, if we are loving, if we possess true joy, if we have a settled peace, no matter the circumstance, if we are patient with every person and situation, if we're kind to every person that we meet, if we seek to do good to all those that are around us, if we remain faithful to fulfill our mission to preach the gospel and make disciples, if we're gentle with our spouse, our friends, our family, our coworkers, if we have self-control as we battle the temptations that come at us from all around, if we were to live that way, we would truly be the light of the world in a city set on a hill that could not possibly be hidden. So as we abide in Christ, as we seek to abide in his word and allow his word to dwell and soak and abide in us, let's endeavor to live in light of that identity as a living sacrifice that bears much fruit and brings praise and glory to our Father and all honor to him. So the keys to bearing much fruit as we wrap this up. First and foremost, know that your position in Christ is settled. As you sit here today, know that you are a branch that is connected to the true vine of Jesus Christ, that your salvation, your sanctification, and your sufficiency come only through him. Next, ensure that God's word is your source. Ensure that as you both look to the, the most grand thing that we could look to, our ultimate eternal reality, as well as the day-to-day -day challenges of life, that the source of all that we need comes from God and his word. And finally, seek the will of the Father in all situations, in all things that we are presented with, in all challenges, in all of life's circumstances. Seek the will of our Father. And by so doing, we will prove to be fruitful disciples and bear witness to a world that is so desperately in search of something that's true and authentic. Let's pray.
Father, we're just so grateful for the opportunity to worship together today in your word. Father, we thank you for the truth that you have sent your son, Jesus Christ, to stand in the gap between us and a holy God, to die in our place, and to draw us unto yourself, to transform us from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light, to continually renew our lives and our minds as we are soaking in and grounded in your holy word. We thank you for the indwelling presence of your Holy Spirit. That as we turn to your revelation and your word that you continually shape and mold our minds to have understanding and clarity and insight that you guide us, that you convict us. We thank you that when we abide in you and that you and your word abide in us, that we can walk through this life as conquerors, not crushed under the weight of the challenges and the frustrations and the wounds but healed by your finished work and looking forward with great anticipation for the eternal hope that we have in you. And Father, as we transition now into a time of remembering through the Lord's Supper, God, we thank you for giving us this opportunity each and every week to pause and reflect on our lives, to, to see and reflect how well we are abiding in you. As we come before you in this moment, we thank you for the ministry of your Holy Spirit. And I pray that even right now, Father, that you would help us to search our hearts and that you would, through your Spirit, bear witness with each of us to what are those things in our life this week or right at this moment that are not pleasing to you, that do not align with your, your will or your word or your best for us. Show those things to us now, God, that we might do business with you. Father, as you reveal these things to us, as you reveal the sin that may be clinging to us or the things that we are battling with that we need to bring to you once again, give us the courage and the strength to repent of those things, not just to be sorry for them, but to turn from them and to turn once again afresh and anew to you and surrender. And so now, Father, we come to you with just thanksgiving and gratefulness and praise for the finished work of Christ, for new morning mercies, for abundant and amazing and matchless grace that has dealt with our sin and imputed upon us the righteousness of Jesus Christ in your sight. We pray all of these things in the name of your Son, our Savior, Jesus.